0: Good morning, church, family. It's good to be with you, uh, wherever you happen to be joining us uh, from this morning. Uh, my name is Chris. If we haven't met yet, perhaps this is your, your first time on one of our broadcasts, maybe your second or third time. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And uh, we are beginning to, to just uh, enter into the home stretch of this message series called Hope in Exile. We've been in the last a couple of months. And so I would invite you, uh, even at home, to go ahead and and grab a Bible, either in print or if you have a Bible uh, app on your device or something like that, go ahead and grab that, open it up, turn it on, head for 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to wrap up the chapter today, so verses 18 through 22. And like I said, we're kind of on the home stretch now, so we're going to wrap up chapter 3 today, and then the month of August, we're going to knock out chapters 4 and 5, and we'll have a new series uh, to launch into in the month of September. But so far, it's been a great series. If you're new, if you're kind of your, your first time, Peter is writing this letter to suffering Christians in order to encourage them. It, it really is a, a letter of encouragement. And so he's, he's writing these guys and gals to give them hope that would hopefully uh, sustain them in the toughest times of life when, when life just seems to be coming apart um, all around you. Because the reality is these, these Christians in Asia Minor, these guys and these gals were really suffering. They were, they were in exile. They were, they were misunderstood as followers of Jesus. People didn't, didn't really trust them. This was a new movement. They weren't really sure what these new Christians were all about. And so they were persecuted. They were persecuted. They were marginalized. And actually, Jesus tells us that suffering is a part of the Christian experience, doesn't he? I think back to John chapter 15, and he actually tells his disciples, hey, listen, if they persecuted me, they're going to they're persecute you. If they, if they hated me, they're, they're, they're going to hate you. And then actually in the very next chapter, in John chapter 16, Jesus says, hey, listen, you're, you're going to have trouble in this world. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be like insulated from trouble and pain and suffering in this world. Jesus goes, you're going to have suffering in this world, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so the message of the scriptures is clear. As believers, we will suffer in this life. But the message is also clear that suffering for the follower of Jesus is not the last word. It never has the last word in our, in our lives. Now, I've got to tell you, this is um, this passage that we're going to be digging into in, in Peter's letter, is, is one of, if not the, most uh, difficult and mysterious texts um, in, in all of the Bible, certainly probably the most difficult to understand um, in the New Testament. And, and yet, as I kind of studied this week, I, I really wasn't looking forward, uh, if I'm being honest, uh, to this week, because I knew this was coming, I'm like, man, this is going to be really hard, how do, I, how do I break this down and explain it, and not turn it into a three-hour seminary lecture or something like that? Um, but, but as I studied it, I, I really, my heart was more and more encouraged uh, just throughout the week. And, and I think this is actually one of the more encouraging uh, passages in all of 1 uh, Peter. And um, so I'm, I'm actually excited about it. There, there's, some, there's some hard stuff here, so you're going to have to hang with me for a minute. But uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great German church reformer, said, said this about this passage that we're about to read. He said, it is as strange a text and as dark a saying as any in the new testament so that i am not sure what peter intended. and so um, man I, i'm going to be unpacking this uh, with you this morning with with definitely a sense of humility. there's a there's some parts of it particularly one part of it that i would just have to say <laughs> with luther um, i'm i'm not really 100% sure what what peter intended here. but what i am sure about is the overarching message, like the, the big idea of this text, which is one of incredible encouragement. And we're actually going to just kind of drill down in that, that portion of the text and, and really be hope, hopefully encouraged uh, this morning. So what we're going to see Peter do is he's going to encourage these suffering Christians by painting four distinct pictures for them of hope. So he's going he's to just fill their pockets full of hope so that when they suffer, they can go back time and time again and, and pull these Uh, rocks of hope, as it were, out of their pocket and be renewed in their hearts. And so he's gonna gonna tell them uh, that when they suffer, he's gonna tell us as believers, when we suffer in this life, he's gonna tell us to look at four things to find hope. He's gonna tell us to look to Jesus. He's gonna tell us to look to Noah. He's gonna tell us to look to our baptism. And then he's gonna finally, he's gonna tell us to look to the exalted king, all right? So those are kind of the, the four Main categories that Peter's gonna map out for us this morning in terms of where we should find our hope. Jesus, Noah, baptism, our exalted king. So is it gonna be good. Uh, Chapter three, I hope that you're there by now. Chapter three, starting in verse 18. This is what the apostle Peter writes to these Christians who were in incredible suffering, incredible pain, isolated, exiled. He says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now, we, we, could, we could almost stop right there just with the first four words of this text and be done. Like, we could just kind of look at that, we could pray, and, and that would probably be enough for us. Those first four words, for Christ also suffered. I mean, it, it, is there a greater encouragement in the world for a person who is suffering suffering Then you then to say to them, You are not suffering alone. That you you have a king who walks with you on the pathway of pain, right? Jesus is known as the suffering savior. He is the one who is acquainted with all of our pain and all of our suffering in this life. Let me ask you a question. If you if you were to just kind of pin down, think back through your life, what what would be maybe the most painful? Experience are the painful, most painful season of your life. Like if you were to just kind of think back through your life, if you could pinpoint uh, one experience or one season of your life that you would say, man, that was just, that was hard. That, that was really painful. That was, a, that was a season of suffering. I can think back in my life and think of maybe a couple of different times that would fall into that category, and I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for you it was a loss of someone that you loved. Maybe your, your, your mom or your dad died, or uh, a friend, a close friend, maybe even a, a child, maybe, maybe for you that time of, of pain was uh, a time where you were, you were mistreated or, or you were even abused by somebody that should have protected you or perhaps for you maybe it was a, a season of betrayal from a, from a spouse or a close friend or maybe a physical battle with something like uh, cancer or depression or something like that. And perhaps for you, you're, you're in that season of suffering right now. You would just, you'd kind of be listening to this, and you would just raise your hand and be like, man, Chris, that's, that's me right now, man. Like, I'm just, I'm there. I'm, I'm in this season of, of pain and suffering, and, and, and life just kind of hurts right now. Maybe you're you're sitting there and you're thinking, Chris, I don't, I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum. I don't really know what you're talking about. Like, I, everything is going really well in my life, and I grew up, a, you know, great parents and all this kind of stuff, and I've never really had a season of pain or suffering in my life. Well, if that if that's you. Praise God, you're probably under like 12 years old. But even if that's you, and you would say, man, like I've never really walked through pain or or suffering, I would just say to you, man, take this message that Peter is about to give us, and and tuck it away, tuck it away some somewhere, because the reality is, you will encourage. Uh, or actually you will encounter suffering at some point in your life. And when you do, man, you're gonna need some deep pockets of hope. And what Peter's doing in this passage ultimately is he is filling our pockets with hope for those days of pain, disappointment, exile, and suffering. And so the first pebble that Peter really just kind of slips into our pockets this morning is this. Christian, when you suffer, look to Jesus That's the first thing we we ought to look to when we're in suffering, when we're in pain. We ought to look to Jesus because Peter is saying when you look to Jesus, you're being reminded that you never suffer alone, that you have a king who suffers with you and he suffered for you. And he walks this broken path of betrayal and suffering right along with you. This is a great source of hope and encouragement because do you want to know what the worst kind of suffering is? The worst kind of suffering is suffering alone. The only thing harder than suffering, is suffering alone. I mean, isn't, isn't, that, why, isn't that why people kinda connect over shared experiences of suffering, right? So, um, maybe you've, you're out there, and, and you're a lady, and you've suffered through a, a miscarriage, or multiple miscarriages, and then, man, if you've never been through that, you don't really know what that pain and that loss is really like, and then you meet somebody else who's walked through that same experience of suffering, you're like, ah! And finally, somebody that understands what it's, what it's like to love someone that you've never even met and then to grieve their, their loss in your life. Or maybe for you, man, you, you meet somebody and you've got this certain kind of cancer and you're going through this grueling treatment and, and then you meet this other person that got the same kind of cancer, they're going through the same thing. And it's like, oh, man, finally somebody that gets it. Finally, somebody that understands exactly what I'm going through in life, or maybe for you, it's like, man, you've been abandoned by a spouse or abused by a parent, and you meet somebody that's had that same life experience of walking that particular path of suffering, and you meet them, and there's almost like this instantaneous connection with that person because they understand you and your situation and your pain in a way that nobody else can, right? Somebody that hasn't walked through your particular a pathway of pain cannot really relate to you the way in which somebody who uh, has can. Some have asked the question, man, why did, I kind of read through the Gospels, why did, why did Jesus have to suffer so much? Like, what, wasn't it kind of overkill? I mean, just the, the beatings and the, having his flesh ripped off of his back and being put, punched and, and spit on and having a crown of thorns just pressed into his skull. I mean, he was just brutalized in so many ways and then he was crucified and he hung on this cross, just shamed and bloody and broken. Like why, why did he have to suffer so much? Why, why couldn't Jesus come like now and lay down his life with like a lethal injection and he just lay down on a bed and take a shot and go to sleep? Why, why did it have to be so bloody? Why did it have to be so brutal and and painful? And I I think, in in part, so that nobody would ever be able to say, Jesus, you don't understand my pain. So that nobody ever in history would be able to look at Jesus and go, Jesus, you don't get it. You've never walked through this much pain. You don't understand my pain. And so any type of pain, any type of betrayal, any type of, of suffering, any type of isolation, you can experience out there, Jesus has already walked that path. And so Jesus, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your suffering is, no matter what your situation is, no matter what kind of pain you're walking through, through, Jesus can look at you in your pain and he can say, I know. He can say, I know, I've, I've, I've been there. Me, me too. I know, I know, I know what it, I know what it's like. I know what that kind of betrayal feels like. I know what that kind of physical pain feels like. I know. I know what that kind of emotional pain feels like. Like I know, I went through it for you because I love you. I know, and I'm I'm here with you. You are never alone. You're never alone. One of our one of our, our daughters um, has had a whole. I can't, lost count of how many ear surgeries um, she's had over the years. Just all kinds of different grafts and some have taken, some have not, and so I've been through several surgeries on her ears. She actually probably needs another one. Um, at some point. So uh, she's gone through all these surgeries, but I can remember one particular time where she had to have a pretty in, intense surgery where they actually had to, to go in through the back of her ears and like cut open basically her, her entire ears, open up the cartilage and take some, some stuff and go in and, and graft some stuff into her eardrums. And so it was a pretty nasty, uh, pretty painful uh, recovery. And she was little at the time, maybe like five years old, six years old. And um, so I can remember getting her home and I can remember the pain meds uh, start starting to to wear off right and and so she was she was in a lot of pain and so for the next few nights she slept in our bed you know right right between cheryl and i and so she would wake up as that pain med would start to wear off and she would just kind of moan and she was just kind of she was just kind of in in pain and so whenever that would happen in the middle of the night we would one of us would, would lean over and we would start rubbing her back or we would start caressing her hair and Pretty quickly, she would calm down, and she would go back to sleep. And like, there wasn't much we could do to actually take away the pain, but there was just the sense in which, as long as our presence was with her, there was a sense of, of comfort. Like, it, it allowed her to rest. Just the fact that mom and dad were there, we were w- there with her, walking with her through the pain, our presence brought her a sense of comfort, allowed her to rest. And one of the things I've learned in life is that when people are suffering, man, you don't, you don't have to have the perfect words to say. Like I think that's one of the mistakes I, I made as, as a younger man. I always feel like, man, if somebody, somebody's suffering, like somebody just died or they just got a cancer diagnosis or something really tragic, something really hard, they lost a kid, they had a miscarriage, I just feel like, man, I got, I've got to craft like the right thing to say that's going to bring them hope and, and maybe get the perfect Bible verse to give them hope, and I've got to go and say the right thing and, and do the right thing. And, and sometimes, listen, so I've just learned sometimes the greatest gift that you can give someone who's suffering is your presence. You don't have to have the perfect words, the perfect actions. Sometimes the best thing, sometimes the only thing you can do The greatest gift you can give somebody who's walking through suffering is to give them the gift of your presence. Because what your presence does is it preaches to them, you are not alone. You are not alone. I I am here with you, and I'm not I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna walk this path with you to the end, and you are not ever gonna be alone as you walk this path. I'm here with you. And Peter is saying that is what Jesus has done for us. That He is with us in our suffering. Which, by the way, just so you know, no other religion in the world, no, no other worldview in the world offers this kind of hope, offers this kind of God. A God who would actually lower himself to come into our world, into our experience, and suffer for us and with us because he loves us. Right? Every other religion in the world teaches the, kind of the, the same message, that God, God is way up here, and, and you better work your way to him. You better earn your way. You got to do these five things, and you gotta have these seven sacraments, and you gotta pray this many times, you gotta fast this month of the year, you gotta do all these things, and, and maybe, just maybe, if you do enough, you can earn God's love and his favor. But Christianity stands all alone in saying, No, 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 God came off the mountain for you. When there was nothing you could do to climb that mountain to get to him, he actually came off the mountain and searched for you and suffered for you. And with you, because he loved you and wanted to rescue you. And so when you're suffering, Peter is saying, look first to Jesus, because he's reminding you that you never suffer alone in this world. Now look back at verse 18. Peter says in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, then watch this, The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. To God. Now this, this is the gospel, right? This is the greatest source of hope in human history. Now you, you maybe have heard the term gospel before. If you, um, maybe you're tuning in, you didn't grow up in church, you didn't grow up in a, a, a religious family or a Christian family, and so maybe you've heard that term, you don't really know what it means. Or who knows, maybe you've been in church your whole life, you heard that, that term your whole life, you don't really know what it means. This is what it means. Verse, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, right? The word gospel just means good news. So what is the good news? The good news is that God loved you so much that when you were hopelessly separated from God because of your sin, that he busted into this world and that he lived a perfect life, the life that you should have lived but you couldn't. And he died a brutal death to pay for your sin, and he rose again, exchanging your unrighteousness, meaning your sin and your rebellion and all that junk, all that stuff in your heart that you hope nobody else finds out about, all all that stuff. He exchanged it for the righteousness of Jesus so that you might be brought near to God, so that you could be restored to your creator, so that you could actually have a living, dynamic relationship with your creator. This is good news, friend. This is the very best news the world has ever heard. Jesus has brought us near. His righteousness exchanged for our unrighteousness so that he might bring us close to God. And so he's reminding us Christian, because of Jesus, you never, ever, ever suffer alone. You never suffer alone. Always look to Jesus first in your suffering. He reminds you that he's with you. Now let's move on to the next part of this passage. Now this, we're getting into the hard stuff now, right? I, t- I told you in the beginning, maybe the hardest passage in all of the New Testament to understand, we're about to dive in. <laughs> Middle of verse 18. It says this, uh, being put, talk about Jesus here, right? Being put to death, his crucifixion, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is where it gets kind of hard. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the day of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So, Peter encourages us first by, by saying, Hey, look to Jesus. This is, this is a suffering Savior. This is the God man who suffers with his people and for his people. So, first of all, he says, You're walking through pain, look to Jesus. That's where you're gonna find your hope, that's where you're gonna find your encouragement. But then, secondly, interestingly, he says, Look, look to Noah. I want you to look to Noah. Now, we'll get to that story in just a second, but let me just briefly address this pesky little section that scholars have debated on for 2,000 years now, the part where Peter says, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? Is, is, is Peter saying that, that Jesus went to hell between his crucifixion and his resurrection? Is that those kind of the, the prisoners that he went um, after his crucifixion, before his resurrection, he, he kind of went and preached to those guys. And, and hell, uh, some, some would take it to mean that. I mean, the, the Apostles' Creed was probably the most famous well-known creed in Christian history, for instance, contains this statement. Jesus descended into hell. It's what, it's what it says in the Apostles' Creed. Now, I spent hours 20, 25 hours this week kind of digging in and unpacking this and looking at all these different interpretations this week, and I would have to come on the, on the other end of all those hours of study and say, along with Luther, I'm still not 100% sure what Peter intended here, all right? Now, I think I have a pretty good idea. I think I have it kind of boiled down to a couple of options that I think are both pretty good options. Um, But listen, there are a ton of different interpretations of this passage, and I don't want us to get bogged down and spend too much time here because, again, I suspect that you didn't tune in for a two-hour seminary lecture this morning. So let me just quickly give you kind of two interpretations that, that, that I find most likely. Both of these interpretations would clearly fall within the bounds of orthodox Christianity, so nobody's going to call you a, a heretic if you, if you kind of subscribe to either one of these interpretations. I find both of these uh, actually pretty compelling in different ways. But the question we really have to answer as we try to understand this is, who, who are these spirits in prison that Jesus goes and, and preaches to? Are these, are these people who have who, died, now they're in hell, and he's going and preaching to them? Are they... Are they angels or are fallen angels where he's going and proclaiming to them? And then the second question is when? Is this like before the life of Jesus? Is this kind of right between his crucifixion and his resurrection? So two, two kind of views I think both uh, fit well in the context of what Peter is uh, trying to say. And, and you can kind of determine which one you think Peter's actually saying here. But the, the first view is that Jesus went to what a lot of scholars would call the place of the dead. Um, A lot of scholars would also just say, hey, we wouldn't call it that, but we'd call it kind of the demonic realm or the realm of darkness, and that he proclaimed his victory between his crucifixion and his resurrection, that Jesus descended and he he went to this place of, of darkness, kind of this demonic realm, and he proclaimed his victory, and then he came back and he was resurrected. Now, this was a commonly held view, especially in the early centuries by church fathers, by theologians like Origen, uh, others, there are, there are really godly men and, and women who I respect today that would, would fall in, into this category. In fact, uh, Dr. Tony Marita, one of my preaching professors, would subscribe to this. There are other passages in the New Testament that seem to corroborate this view that, that there are demons or, or a subset of demons who are kept in, in prison, as it were, or, or Hades, as some would call it. So you could look at 2 Peter uh, 2.4, you could look at Jude 6, some other places. Um, like that. And so Peter could be saying here that Jesus went and he proclaimed his victory in the demonic realm, right? So after his death, before his resurrection, he goes and he says, I- I've won the victory. I've finally conquered. And so the picture that, that he could be painting, Peter could be painting here, is one where, where Jesus is crucified, he dies, and man, like there's this big party with, with demons and, and Satan in and the kingdom of darkness, and they're all celebrating. Man, like we finally did it. We didn't know if we could do it, but we did it, man. We orchestrated all this stuff, and the Roman government, and the Jews, and this mock trial, they crucified Jesus, and he's dead. Like, we finally did it, like this big party, and then this picture that Peter's painting is that Jesus comes strolling in right in the middle of the party, right? He's like, hey, what's up, what's up, boys? What y'all, what y'all celebrating? Just wanna, just wanna stop by real quick and let you know that I have conquered death, and that I now hold the keys to life, death, and hell. My victory is final. So we see you, see you boys at the day of judgment, right? And then he goes back and resurrects and he drops the mic, right? And he sits right next to the, uh, the Father in heaven, right? So that, that's one view, that Jesus went into this demonic realm, proclaimed his victory um, between his death and his resurrection. There's a second view that I also find pretty compelling. And this is the view that, that Jesus actually went in the days of Noah, the spirit of Jesus, and he preached through Noah to the rebellious people of the day. So the, the spirits in prison that Peter's talking about there is not actually the demonic realm. He's actually talking about uh, these, these people that Noah preached to. And so, so Jesus kind of went through Noah and actually was with Noah. And as Noah proclaimed to these people who were persecuting him and mocking him that actually uh, Jesus was preaching through Noah to these people who are now dead and they're in prison, they're in, in hell now. Uh, Augustine popularized this view uh, in the 4th century, there are a lot of great scholars, pastors that would subscribe to this view, guys like John Piper today. Now, here, here, here's the deal. Um, th- none of this is Peter's main point. And so a lot of times people kind of get, get stuck and bogged down in the nuances of texts like this, and they're trying to wrestle through and figure out exactly what Peter's talking about. None of that is actually his point. P- Peter's point right here is really one of encouragement. And he's, he's primarily saying, look to Noah. Look to, you want encouragement in your suffering, I want you to look at the life and the experience of Noah. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, the story of Noah, you've probably heard of the animals and ark and all that kind of stuff. Let me give you the cliff notes. Uh, Noah was a righteous man. He wasn't perfect. You read the book of Genesis. He he definitely had his share of mistakes and and sin. He wasn't perfect. But Noah, Noah was a man who genuinely loved God. He loved God, and he wanted to to hear from God, and when he heard from God, man, he wanted wanted to follow God and and obey God and all these things, but he lived in a really awful time, a really awful period of history, a a time in history really where there was kind of unmatched evil and violence and wickedness on this earth. I want you to listen to, this will be on the screens for you, I want you you to listen to Genesis chapter six, just kind of describe the time when, when Noah lived. It says this, the Lord saw, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every, listen to that, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Like you think we have it bad, you think we have a a problem of moral bankruptcy in in our culture, Uh, we got nothing on the days of of Noah. It 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 was bad. Verse six, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so the story goes that God God is going to send this this great global flood as judgment against the evil on this earth. And he tells Noah, this, this one righteous man, in a sea of violence and hatred and unrighteousness, is one righteous man who loves him, not perfect, but he, but he loves God and he wants to hear from God, he wants to follow God, and he tells him to build this massive boat, this massive ark. And a lot of scholars think it took Noah about 120 years to build this huge thing. And so for 120 years, Noah worked and he preached for people to turn from their sin and turn to God. And for 120 years, Noah and his family were likely Mocked relentlessly, ostracized, mistreated, abused verbally. They lived in exile. I mean, can, can you just imagine the things that people would have said to Noah and his family? Like, Noah, what, what are you doing, man? What are you talking about? This great global flood and God's judgment, man? Like, you've been working on this stupid boat for 73 years, Noah. Nothing's happening. Like, you, you're a moron, you're, you're a crazy man. There's, there's still no rain. Like, yeah, God's, God, woo, God's judgment. Real, we're real scared, you Bible freak. What are you, what are you talking about? It's been 87 years now. Can you just imagine what Noah and his family went through? Imagine Noah's wife, his poor wife. Imagine their, their three sons, man. They come home, the sons, and like, dad, nobody, nobody, none of the kids in the neighborhood will even play with us. They all think we're crazy because you're building this stupid boat. What are you, what are you doing, Dad? What are you doing? We can't even, we we can't even have any friends. Could you imagine Noah's wife? She's like, comes in one day. She's like, man, I just want, I just want community. I just want, just want to spend some time with some some ladies and have some coffee. And nobody, nobody will even talk to me. They they think that we're insane. And what about Noah? You ever thought about Noah? Do you think Noah ever had moments of doubt in his life? Like he's building this boat. People are insulting him. Right? They're they're ostracized, they're suffering all alone. People think they are insane. Do you ever think Noah ever questioned himself? Like maybe year 47? He's like, what? You know, or maybe maybe year 112 into this whole thing. You ever think Noah just had these thoughts, like, man, what am I crazy? Like, did I really did I really hear God? Like wait, what what what? Am I am I am I losing my mind? Did I what's am I doing? Am I sacrificing my my wife and my kids for something that's not even real? Like you have to imagine that over the course of one hundred twenty years that Noah had a lot of days like that. We just doubted and wondered if God was really present. Did he really hear from God? Is it really worth all this suffering to to follow God in this world? And then what happened? One day it started to rain, and it kept raining. Rain some more. And God was true to his promise. And he delivered Noah and his families from the waves and the waters of his judgment. So what Peter is doing here is he's pointing us to Jesus first in our suffering. But then he's also says, Look, I want you to look at Noah. Hey, believer, hey, follower of Jesus. I want you to I want you to look at the life of Noah. And he's saying us to, to us. He's saying, Hey, listen, believer, and this is number two. He's saying, I want you to look to Noah. Because this is what you can learn as you look to the life of Noah, your deliverance is near. Your deliverance is near. Your day of vindication is coming. Now it may not feel like that today, it may not feel like that tomorrow, or next week, or even next month, but look to Noah, who suffered for 120 years. Your deliverance is drawing near. And just like Noah suffered alone and his wife suffered and his kids suffered and people thought they were insane and they were mocked relentlessly for their faith, in due time, God delivered Noah and his family. And in due time, Christian, he will deliver you in your suffering. And so take courage. Your day of vindication is coming, follower of Jesus. Now, you might be right in the middle of your 120 years of doubt and struggle and pain, and loneliness, and isolation, and being made fun of and mocked, but Peter is saying, Christian, hold on. Hold on, God has not forgotten his promise. He has not forgotten his promise, and he has not abandoned you. Look to Noah. Remember the character of your God. Your deliverance is coming, just like Noah's deliverance came. It is near, and it is assured. It is coming. Find hope in that. Look to Jesus, look to Noah, be encouraged in your days of pain and suffering. And then the third picture that Peter paints to encourage believers who are walking in suffering is the picture of baptism, which he then connects back to the story of Noah. Watch this in verse 21. He says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he says baptism corresponds to this. Corresponds to what? He's connecting baptism back to the story of Noah. And he's saying, just like Noah was brought safely through the floodwaters of God's judgment, you too, Christian, are in an ark. You're in an ark. And his name is Jesus. And he will bring you safely through the crashing waves of this life and the floodwaters of God's justice, and your baptism is a picture of that reality in your life. That, that's why when we baptize people here at New Life, when we if you've ever seen baptisms here, we've, we've actually had the privilege of baptizing the, the last three Sundays. I'm actually disappointed that we don't have somebody this Sunday, because I, I love it so much. But um, if you've been here for any of our baptisms, what we do is, is we kind of take that person who's giving their life to Jesus And we, we kind of push them under the water or, or let them go under the water And we say, buried with Jesus in his death Buried with Jesus in his death But we don't leave them there, right? Because those waters represent God's judgment and death and all of those things We actually bring them up and say, raised to walk in new life Right, and so this is, this is a picture Peter is saying of death and rescue and new life. That's what baptism is. Baptism proclaims that Jesus has brought you safely from death to life, from the floodwaters of God's justice to the safety of his son, Jesus. Now, understand because there has been some, again, this is a hard passage, there's been some confusion over the years about what Peter means here. Understand Peter is not saying here that the act of baptism is what saves you, okay? Some people have been confused by the wording here. Peter does not mean that when you go under the water, that's what saves you. So like if you place your faith in Christ uh, today and then we plan your baptism next week, but something happens and you die in a car wreck, before you can get baptized, and you're just, you're out of luck. That's, that's, not, that's, not what, that's not what Peter is saying here, because he actually says, in that same text, he says, not as removal of dirt from the body, meaning, and listen, it's not the, it's not the act of baptism of the body that actually cleanses you. That's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying it's actually a picture of what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. It's a picture of you being rescued from the floodwaters of death and guilt and condemnation and God's wrath against sinners. It's a picture. Your baptism is a picture of all of those really glorious, awesome, encouraging realities. And that's why we make a really big deal about baptism here at New Life. Because baptism is that one outward action that we can do that proclaims to the world that we are safe in Jesus, that we are safe from the crashing waves of of guilt and shame, that we're safe from the floodwaters of God's justice, not because we're awesome or we've earned it, but because Jesus is awesome. And he's earned it on our behalf. He is our ark. He is our safety, and our new life is secure in him now and forever. Now, maybe you're watching this, and, and baptism is the step that you need to take. Maybe for you it's, it's something that you've just put off for a long time. Right, Like you've, you've, you've known Jesus, you've been following him, but you just keep, oh, man, I don't really want to do that. It's kind of uncomfortable, it's kind of embarrassing, I don't want to be wet in front of everybody, mess up my hair, mess up my makeup. You know, all, you, We have all these things in our minds like, man, I don't want to do that. But maybe for you, maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you through his word that, hey, look, this is a really, it doesn't save you, but this is a really important part of your journey in following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. Or maybe for you, you, you just recently started following Jesus. Or maybe today is the day that you're gonna place your faith in Jesus. And this is for you, if you're a new Christian, you're a new disciple, a new follower of Jesus, this is your very first step. Maybe that's your next step today. If it is, let us know. So here's Peter's third encouragement. He says, look to Jesus, look to Noah. Then thirdly, he says, look to baptism. Number three, look to baptism. And he's saying, your baptism actually reminds you that you're safe in Jesus. No matter how much suffering you're in, no matter how much pain you're walking through, your baptism, you ought to be able to look back at your baptism, that symbolism of you going into the waters of God's justice and judgment and death and being raised to new life in Jesus, that ought to be a reminder to you that you are safe in Jesus. I love uh, the way Thomas Schreiner, he's a New Testament scholar, puts it. He says this, he says, and this will be on the screen for you. He says, the waters of baptism, like the waters of the flood, demonstrate that destruction is at hand. But believers are rescued from these waters and that they are baptized with Christ, who also emerged from the waters of death through his resurrection. Just as Noah was delivered through the stormy waters of the flood, believers have been saved through the stormy waters of baptism by virtue of Christ's triumph over death. So Peter is saying, baptism is this picture that reminds us that we are safe in him. He is our ark. We are safe in Jesus. And then Peter closes out this hopeful section of his letter to these suffering Christians in verse 22. And he says this, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God? He's talking about Jesus here. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him. Now this, this, is, this is huge, man. This is, this is massive because Peter is saying, this, this Jesus, this guy who suffered for you and with you, this Savior, who, the same Savior who delivered Noah from the floodwaters will also deliver you safely home. This Jesus, this, this resurrected king, now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and everything is subject to him. Everything on earth and above the earth and the heavens, under the earth, everything is subjected to him. Angels and demons and world governments and global pandemics and viruses. Peter's saying there is not a molecule or a dust particle in this universe that does not bow the knee to the command and the word of Jesus. Jesus is a savior who who breathes and stars are born in the universe. He speaks and nations bow the knee. And so what that means for you practically, follower of Jesus, is that nothing comes into your life, listen, nothing comes into your life that God has not allowed and intended for your good. And so Peter's saying this is our last truth. Number four, he's saying look to your exalted king. He's reminding us, hey listen, Christian, Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. That tomb is empty. He's not there anymore. This resurrected king sits at the right hand of the Father. And everything in this planet and this universe is subjected to Him. So He's reminding these believers who are under great suffering and persecution. He's reminding them: hey, listen, Jesus controls your future. There's nothing outside of his control. Like your life, your future, your pain, everything in your life, it rests securely in his hands. Everything in your life. All of your suffering, all of your pain, all of your fears, all things, in all realms, in all times, bow to his command. And so here's the deal, and then then we're done. We're about to pray, and then we'll sing. This is what he's saying. He's saying, believer, this is the deal. You are safe in his hands. You are safe in his hands. And not only that, your suffering is not in vain. You're safe in his hands. Your suffering's not in vain. So take heart, believer. Follower of Jesus, take heart. Sit in that hope, stand in that hope, claim it for yourself. Your king has come. He has conquered and he will bring us all the way home. Let's pray and then we'll sing. God God, would you, would you change us? Father, would you, make us, would you make us a people of radical hope? Not a people that just give lip service to hope, say, yeah, we, be- we believe, but it doesn't really affect our life, it doesn't change our life, it doesn't change how we walk through passive suffering and pain in this life. Make us a people of real hope. Make us a people of radical hope. Remind us, point our minds, point the affection of our hearts when we walk in those difficult seasons back to Jesus who suffers with us and he suffered for us. Point our hearts back to, to Noah to remind us that your promises always come true and that you will deliver us our day of vindication in this life and in eternity is coming, God. Point us back to our baptism to remind us that we are, we are safe in the flood waters of this life. We are safe in Jesus. God, remind us of our exalted king. Remind us that everything is in the palm of his hands. Everything in our life is filtered through his loving hands. He intends it for our good, for his glory. God, help us to be people that just live this hope. Help us to be people that breathe this hope. Help us be people that share this hope with a world that needs nothing more than it needs hope in this season God thank you we love you and we pray in the name of our conquering king Jesus amen